pay close attention to the reading of the scriptures in Luke chapter number 8, beginning verse number 26. Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse number 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite of Galilee. And he stepped out onto the land, and there he met a certain man who had demons for a long time. This man had no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but he lived in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him with a loud voice and said, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torment me. Verse 29. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it seized him. And he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demons into the wilderness. And Jesus answered him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because my demons are many. And they begged him that he would not commission them to go into the abyss. Now there was a herd of swine nearby feeding on the mountains. So they begged him that he would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. Then the demons went out from the men and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake, and they drowned. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it to the city and the country. Then they went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. They also who had seen it told them by what means he had been demon-possessed, and he was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding area asked him to depart from there. For they seized him with great fear, and he got into the boat, and he returned. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own house, and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Today I want to preach on part two of the message that I started, not last Sunday, but the Sunday before. Last Sunday, if you recall, we had our national bishop here. And so, but the Sunday before that, I preached a sermon called Voices in My Head. And so today I want to preach the second part of that sermon, Voices in My Head. Could you say that with me? Voices in My Head part two. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Open our ears and our hearts to hear your word. And everyone shouted a great big amen. Every day we have voices running through our heads. We got voices running through our heads. And some of those voices can be really loud. Some people can't deal with their own thoughts. Some people have to take medicine because they can't deal with their own memories and thoughts. Medicine is not bad, but you get the point. Some people are so confused with their own thoughts that they need to seek professional help. And I'm all for that. 
Some people are so confused and so bombarded by different voices that it's actually too painful for them to reminisce of the past. Some people in their life, because the thoughts that they think are so painful and so agonizing that they don't know how to deal with their own thoughts. You see, my friends, your thoughts are the voices in your head. Your thoughts are those voices in your head. And on a daily basis, we hear all kinds of thoughts in our head, don't we? We have thoughts and voices that tell us that we're not good enough. We have voices that tell us, you're not as pretty as she is, or you're not as fit as he is. You're not loved. You don't fit in. They won't like you. What are they going to say about you? Over and over, we are bombarded with thoughts, or should I say voices, in our head. Over and over again. And sometimes those thoughts or those voices are so loud that it's hard for us to manage those voices. Some of us get so confused. Is it the will of God? Does God want me to do this or am I supposed to do this? What direction am I supposed to take in life? It seems like every turn that I make, there's another voice telling me what to do. One voice tells me to do this and another voice tells me to do this. And pastor, quite frankly, I don't know what to do. I'm sure that you've been there before. I have been there before. And if you've been there before, you can, you can sympathize with what I'm saying today. You know, there is a pandemic of confusion in our country. Because even in the last few years, we have seen an increase of suicide even among Christians. We've seen depression, we've seen anxiety, we've seen disorders, we've seen bipolar symptoms, we've seen panic attacks, we've seen nervous conditions on the rise, even in the church. Here, we are supposed to be victorious. We're supposed to know the scriptures. We're supposed to be walking in the scriptures and walking in victory, but yet some of us is so tormented with our own thoughts that it seems like we can't even get our mind together. You know what I'm talking about. We're so scattered brain that we can't even hold a conversation because our minds are so scattered. I hope you know that I'm preaching to myself today. I've been there before. How many would raise your hand and say, I've even talked to people and nodded my head, but my mind was a million miles away. We've all been there before because we're all has struggling with those voices or with those thoughts in our mind. I have to constantly tell myself this, just because I think it doesn't mean it's right. It's really, really amazing how most of us really believe what we think. And let me ask you a question. Why do you believe everything you think? Why do you think that everything you think is real and factual and true? You see, the scripture says that each of us is born into sin. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned in the garden and sin was passed to the whole human race. And therefore, when we are born into the world, we are born broken and sinful. That is why you need a savior. That is why you need a redeemer. You see, there's not one perfect person in the world. Every person has sinned. That's why our 
government continually makes laws over and over and over and over again because they're trying to control society. They want society to do what's right. But inside of us, we have a nature that is broken. We have a nature that has a tendency to sin. And if that is true, if your nature is sinful, then the voices that you think every day could be corrupted. It doesn't mean that everything you think is right. And it doesn't mean that everything that you think is godly. And doesn't, just because you think you don't fit in, doesn't mean you don't fit in. And just because you think you're not loved, doesn't mean you're not loved. Sometimes you've got to look at things objectively. Sometimes you've got to pull your mind together. You've got to pull your mind together and you've got to align your mind with truth. As of 2017, several years ago, 300 million people around the world said that they are suffering from depression, according to the World Health Organization. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S., It's the second leading cause of death among people 10 to 34 years of age. Nearly 50% of all people that's been diagnosed with depression is also diagnosed with anxiety disorders. For over 492,000 people visit hospitals every year because they do some sort of self-harm to their bodies. What is going on, folks? People are tormented in their minds. People don't know what to do with their thoughts. They don't know how to regulate their mind and regulate their thoughts. They're believing things that's not true. And that's how the devil controls you. You are engaged in a spiritual warfare. The battle that you're in today is not against your spouse. The battle that you're in today is not against the church or against society. The battle that we are in today is a spiritual battle, and there is forces of darkness coming against the forces of light, and you've got to know how to fight this battle. And it doesn't matter how many arguments you get in with each other, it's not going to solve it. It's not going to solve it, because you are engaged in a spiritual warfare, and the enemy understands that. And what the enemy will do, he will throw things at your mind, things that's not true. One of the words for the word devil, and I've said this over and over, but I think it's noteworthy for me to say it again. One of the words for the word devil is diablos, to throw. And that's what the devil does. He throws things at your mind over and over and over again so that you will believe those things. And if you believe those things, then it puts you in bondage. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. My friends, if the truth can set you free, then lies will bind you up. And that is what the devil will do. The devil will lie to you so he can control you. And if he can control you, he can put you in bondage. Can I hear somebody in the building say amen? How many is fed up believing the lies of the enemy? Can I hear an amen? You say, well, pastor, I don't feel like I'm forgiven. It's not based on how you feel. It's based upon what we know to be true and written in this B-I-B-L-E. You may feel like you're a sinner this morning, but if you've confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, I could tell you right now the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you, and it doesn't matter how you feel. This is a faith walk. Can I hear an amen? This is a faith walk. You say, well, pastor, I don't fit in. Who told you you don't fit in? Who told you that you're not loved? 
Who told you that you're no good? Well, when I was in sixth grade, somebody told me, there, there comes a time in your life that you got to make a decision that you got to move on even when you don't have closure. You got to move on in life even when you don't got closure. You can't always be pointing back in your life and saying, the reason I am the way I am is because what was done to me. Listen. It may not be your fault. What was done to you was bad. I sympathize with you. I do. Because sometimes life hurts and life stinks. But listen to pastor. You're not responsible for what happened to you, but you are responsible for your healing. And there comes a time where you say, my past is not going to control me, and I'm not going to be defined by what people said about me. I'm not going to be defined by what they believe about me. I control my destiny, and I am going to put my destiny in the hands of Jesus who controls all things. So the next time you think you're not loved and nobody cares and they're talking about you, I want to, I want to ask yourself a question. Who is saying it? How many people are saying it? The mind is a powerful thing. You're responsible for your thoughts and nobody else's thoughts. You can't control what people say about you or do to you, but you can't control your reaction. You can control how you respond. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 verse 16, what Paul said was this, the mind is governed by the flesh is death, but the mind that's governed by the spirit is life and peace. What's going on in our society is that our mind is governed by the flesh. It's governed by self-gratification and the things of this world. And so therefore, we are living in death. We're living in the graveyard because our mind is in the clutter. Our mind is in the graveyard. And if your mind is in the tombs of the past, you're going to live in the graveyard. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3 verse 2, Paul said, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. The Bible says in Isaiah 26 verse 3, the prophet said it like this, you will keep him in perfect peace whose minds are steadfast because they trust you. In other words, folks, you have control over your thoughts. You have control over your mind. You say, well, pastor, I'm so tormented in my mind, God can never use me. Well, guess what? I've read the scriptures over and over and I have found one common theme is that God always uses messed up people. Hallelujah. I'm going to say that again. As I read the Bible, every time I read the Bible, there's one thing that always jumps out at me. God always uses messed up people. He uses the Rahabs. He uses the Sauls. He uses the Jonas and the Jeremiahs. He uses people who society throws away and says they can never be worth anything. God picks them and uses them. You see, remember what Jeremiah said? Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 14, he said, Cursed be the day I was born, and may the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Now, I don't know about you, but Jeremiah is having a bad day here. Jeremiah said, I'm just going to curse the day I was born. How many would raise your hand and say, agree with Pastor Josh? That's a bad day right there. I mean, that is a bad day. I mean, somebody peed in his Wheaties. I mean, this is a bad day, folks. Cursed be the day I was born. What about Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 18? Jeremiah also said this. 
Why did I even come out of a womb to see trouble and sorrow to end my days in shame? It seems like it's getting worse. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Jeremiah was a great prophet that God used for the children of Israel. And here is a great man, a great anointed man, appointed man of God. Here, here is a man who's having a bad day and he's listening to the wrong voices. So let me tell you something. If you've been listening to the wrong voices, you've been in right company. We've all listened to the wrong voices before. We've all had bad days. There's a difference between having a bad day and a bad heart. All of us will have a bad day, but don't let it get to your heart. And Jeremiah said, why did I even come out of this womb to see trouble and sorrow? I mean, that's a bad day. What about the prophet in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4? He just called down fire. He just saw a miracle, and right after the prophet saw a miracle, the Bible says while it was a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to the broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. How many would agree this prophet's having a bad day too? I mean, the prophet said, Lord, just take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying that if you read the Bible carefully, you will discover that many people were used of God, but many people had trouble with their voices. Many people had trouble with their minds. People had bad days. Sometimes life didn't go the way they should have went. But in the midst of that, God's glory was always seen because God always uses messed up situations. Listen, people are messy and church is messy. You may not worship like I worship, and you may read the Bible slower than I read it. You may not even know the words on the screen. You may even struggle in knowing what to believe about Christianity. But I promise you, if you're taking baby steps to God, I'm telling you, it is impossible for you not to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He, he will, if you're taking baby steps, they may be little steps, It's not about the pace. It's about the direction. And I've said this until I'm blue in the face. If you're struggling, struggle forward. If you're doubting, doubt forward. Is there anybody in this building ever had to come to church struggling? Has anybody ever had to sing a song while tears ran down your face and you didn't even know whether you believed the words of the song? You wanted to believe it, but there was voices in your head telling you something else. Is there anybody in the building that can wave your hand and say, I've had seasons in my life where I've had to walk the valley and my own tears watered the flowers in my own valley. Voices in your head. You see, there's three sources where voices come from. I've already said this. Number one, it's the secular. The secular voice. The lack of the word of God. No word of God. Listen, there is a voice in society right now that is opposed to Christian values. That voice is very, very strong. And that voice is against the church and against, it's against the values and the biblical worldview of the scriptures. It's against it. 
And that's a voice. You turn on the media and they're against the church. Or at least they're against the values in which we hold. That is a voice. And every day, listen, every day you're listening to it. You go to work and you hear secular, you hear the secular voice. You turn on the TV and you hear the news. You open your phone up and you look at the ads and that's a voice. It's against the values of the scriptures. Number two, there's a satanic voice. The satanic voice is a voice that's from the devil, and he always contradicts the word. In other words, the devil will give you enough truth, but in that truth, there is deception. And that is why it's important that you program your mind in reading the scripture so that you can spot counterfeit. That when the counterfeit is presented to you, you know enough of the word of God that you know that that is not true. And that's what the devil is. The devil is a deceiver. He will deceive you. That is why, listen to me, that is why false religion and false cults are on the increase. Because people would prefer to belong before they believe. They want to belong before they believe. And that is why people will go to a cult or a false religion and they will know on the inside that it's not true, but they will give their life to it because they want to feel as though they are a part of something. And in the church, we got it backwards. We want people to believe before they belong. But I believe that the principle is, is you need to belong and then you will believe. We bring you in. And yes, there is a repentance and put your faith in Christ that's essential. But also this is a community. And the enemy will contradict the word of God. And that's what's happening. The devil is not going to come to you with a pitchfork and a red cape. He's going to come to you as a false religion and a false church. And that's what's happening in the world today. There is the apostate church, and then there's the real church. The apostate church is ordaining people that shouldn't be ordained. They're covering people's sins. Can can I hear an amen? Child molestation, adultery, and perversion is being overlooked in the apostate church. But there is a real church. And just because they have a crucifix and just because they sing some religious songs on Sunday morning doesn't mean it's the true church. And then there's the spirit, the Holy Spirit. So there's the secular voice, there's the satanic voice, and then there's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will not tell you anything that's against the Bible. Why is so? Because the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible, and he will not tell you something that's against the written word. I had somebody come to you, come to me about 15 years ago in my first church, and they were so excited, and they wanted to meet with me, and they came to me, and they said, oh, pastor, I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to me to get married. I said, well, praise the Lord. Uh, Who is this? Who is this guy that you want to marry? Well, you know, he's married to sister so-and-so. I said, I looked at the woman. I said, now, hold on here. How do you figure that you've heard from God and this man is married to another woman? She said, well, their marriage is shambles anyway, and they're going to get a divorce. And the Holy Ghost already spoke to me and said that I'm supposed to marry the man. I said, sister, you're not listening to the author of the scriptures because the Holy Spirit doesn't divide marriages. He restores marriages. 
So the Holy Spirit is not going to tell you something that's against the Bible. I don't care if an angel came at your bedside and the, you experienced glory dust and the, this spirit told you to go find 12 golden tablets somewhere. If it's not found in the Bible, you are listening to a demonic spirit. And the demonic spirit will deceive you if you don't know the word of God. I have never been in a generation where Christians don't know the Bible. And I know they don't know the Bible. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the church up the street. People will say, well, the Holy Spirit told me to do something. And I'm saying, well, first of all, not everything the Holy Spirit tells you to do is in Scripture. The Holy Spirit doesn't tell you, you know, you can't find a blue house with green shutters in the Bible. That's where you've got to listen to the prompting of the Spirit. But there are things written in the Bible that we should not go against. So the Holy Spirit will never go against the Word of God. God's voice never contradicts Scripture. The Holy Spirit inspired it. God's voice is never wrong. Number two, God's voice is never wrong. Listen, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and told me this. And my question to you is, did it come to pass? And if it didn't come to pass, you didn't hear the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is never wrong. It always comes to pass. And number three, your voice serves you. Why God's voice serves God. How do you know it's God? Because his voice serves himself while your voice serves you. You see, when you look at this scripture today, just for the next 10 minutes, when you look at this scripture today, remember the scripture I just read to you about the man of Gadara, this man that was possessed by demons. And I, it's what's interesting to me is that if you look at the Bible, you say, Pastor, where are you going with the voices? I just want you to buckle your seatbelts because I'm going to take you on a journey in just a few moments. It's interesting to me that when you open up the Bible to Luke chapter 8, the story that I just read to you, it's interesting to me that if you pay attention to the story before the story I read. For instance, in Luke chapter number 8, beginning with verse number 22 through verse number 25, Jesus is walking on the water because there's a great storm. And then after that story... Luke chapter 8, verse 22, Jesus is calming the winds and the waves. He's rebuking the winds and the waves. And then the Bible says in verse number 26, there's a demon-possessed man. In other words, I want you to notice the progression here. That Jesus moves from the storm of the storm at the sea to the storm in life. Do you see that? The storm at the sea, to the storm in life. In other words, the writer here is doing a parallel between what is natural and what is supernatural. The man that's demon-possessed is likened unto the raging sea. The man that's demon-possessed is likened unto the man or to the sea that is raging. And so the writer here is giving you a parallel. He's telling you the story where Jesus calmed and rebuked the waves and the winds and the sea. And yet the next story is a man who is demon-possessed and he's like, he's a crazy man. He's like 
the sea. He's given you the natural, and he's there giving you the supernatural. So there are three things from this story about voices I want you to see. Number one, I want you to see that memories can be a strong voice. Memories can be a strong voice. Remember what the Bible says? This man was possessed of demons, and the Bible says that when Jesus asked his name, the Bible says the demon-possessed man said his name was Legion. Now, legion is a military term which represents about 6,000 people in a Roman army. So, when Jesus asked this man, what is your name? And the man said, my name is legion. That's a lot of demons. Now, I'm not sure if he had actual five or 6,000 demons. Because when Jesus rebuked the man and cast the spirit out, There was 2,000 pigs that ran down the mountain. So I'm not sure how many demons this man had, but I just want to let you know the man had a lot of demons. He had thousands of demons. And I want you to picture with me this morning that the demons that this man had were all voices. He had a legion of demons inside of him, or thousands of demons And each of those demons had a voice. Can you imagine this man? This man every day had thousands of demons talking to him. Voices in his head. Day after day. Week after week. Month after month. This man is wrestling with the voices in his head. Legion, each of those demons said something to him. It's no wonder this man was living in the tombs. The Bible says the man was cutting himself. The Bible says this man was naked and exposed. He had no clothes. He was living in the tombs. He had to be restrained by the people of the city. This man was in a desperate situation. And why was he in a desperate situation? Because he had voices in his head. He had demons. Now my sermon this morning is not about demon possession. Even though this is what the story is about. The context of this story is that Jesus has power over the supernatural. Jesus has power over the demonic realm. That's the context of the story. It validates that Jesus is the Son of God. But this morning, I want to put a twist on this story, and I want you to see something at, a, at an application of a, about how you can put it into practice and how you can see yourself in this story. I believe in demon possession, and I believe it's real. I've cast many of them out in my life. I've seen it ever since I was a child. It is real, and you can open yourself up to the demonic. I believe that. But this morning, I want you to picture this man being tormented by voices. I want you to see this man being tormented by all the demons that's talking to him. He's losing his mind. You see, this man is fragmented. This man is fractured. This man is lost I would even say that this man is torn to pieces on the inside. This man is torn in 6,000 ways. This man is fragmented. This man is fractured. 
This man has voices speaking to him. This man is pulled this way. He's pulled that way. There's thoughts bouncing in and out. He's living in complete torment and hell to the point that he's living in tombs. He's living in a graveyard. He's living naked. He's cutting himself. He's absolutely crazy. Because that's what happens when you let voices control your mind. So what happens when you listen to more than one voice? He was living where? In the tombs. He was living in the graveyard. The graveyard, my friends. Now this is a life application principle. The graveyard represents... Memories. He was in the graveyard. He was reliving the memories. He was entrapped by memories. He was going down memory lane thinking to himself, I shouldn't have done it. I wish I... I wish I could redo this. I, I wish I would have, I wish I could go back in my life and do it over. If I, if I just had one more chance, just one more chance, if I could just go back and do it over, just one more chance, why did I do it? He was entrapped by the memories of his life, living in the tombs. I'm telling you, memories can be a voice. Memories can be a voice. I've stood at the bedside of many people and I've held their hand. You know what some of them will say? Pastor, if I could go back, the, the memories haunt me. I can't get peace in my mind. The memories have tormented me, Pastor. Am I going to make it to heaven? They're living in the tombs of their memories. And I'll sit there and hold their hand and cry with them. And read the scriptures to him. Because no matter what kind of memory lane they may be going down, I know the scriptures can bring them back. I know somehow God's grace is greater. <laughs> Memories can be a voice, my friends. Memories can almost be stronger than demons. Memories can bring you back to a moment. And that is why memories produce feelings. Driving down the road in your car, and a song comes on instantly. Tears drop down your cheek because you go back in the Rolodex of your mind, and that song brings about memories. Can you see what this man 
This man has listened to thousands of demons with voices. He's living in the tombs. The tomb is a place of memorial. The graveyard is a place of memories. And that in itself was a voice to this man. How? What happened to this man? Well, there's only two options. Two options. is what I call openness and what I call brokenness. Two options. Either he opened himself up to philosophies and ideas that was contrary to the Torah and believed things that he should never have believed. Or he was broken and vulnerable. And he was looking for something to fill the void in his life. You see, memories can be a voice. Remember my uncle. Done drugs all of his life. Right before he passed. I was praying with him over the phone. I'll never forget the words. Josh. I know he can forgive me. But I can't forgive myself. And I said to him, Kevin. Why can't you forgive yourself? He says, because my mind won't shut off. I keep remembering it. I want to let you know today, there's people who go to church and they're struggling with the voices in their head and they want to get free. They want to serve Jesus, but the enemy wants to keep him in their memories, wants to keep him in the graveyard of the past. And I've come to tell you with the word of God today that the enemy is a liar and I refuse to let him destroy your life. Today is freedom day. Be free in your mind. Be free in your spirit. The blood of Jesus is strong enough to break the power of sin off of your life. You believe Jesus can save you. And I believe that Jesus can do a transformation in your heart. Number two, you know what I learned in this story? Is that the power is not always in numbers. I'm, I'm going to shout here. Is this all right, y'all? Is this all right, I shower? You ever heard that there's power in numbers? Boy, there's power in numbers. Well, that could be true. But in this case, this man was possessed with a legion of demons. And it had power over him. It controlled him. But something happened. Jesus came on the scene. And Jesus is the one that approached the man. And Jesus is not distracted by the man's craziness. He is not repulsed by the man's nakedness. He is not limited by the chains and the shackles that the man has. Jesus is not intimidated by the people of the city. He's not intimidated by the legion. Jesus is not intimidated by the number. It doesn't matter how many legions or demons that the man had, Jesus is not intimidated by the number. 
I want to say this and say it loud and clear. Jesus is stronger than the number. I said Jesus is stronger than the number. And some of you, you may have a lot of numbers in your life. My marriage is falling apart. My mind is going crazy and my money is funny. Come on, somebody. I don't like my job. I can't, don't have no peace in my heart. And, no pe- and you, the numbers just keep stacking up. And you can just keep numbering things one after another. And you, you say all these voices. You don't know what to do, where to go. And I want to say that this story tells me that Jesus is stronger than the number in your life. He's stronger than the number in your life. When Jesus showed up, hope woke up. Life woke up. Possibilities woke up. Deliverance woke up. Restoration woke up. This man was living in the tomb and he was comfortable living in the tomb. But when Jesus showed up, he confronted the number Jesus is confronting the numbers in your life. Closing. Discipleship number three is the proof of real transformation. Now, discipleship means following Jesus. Following Jesus is the proof that you've really been changed. Following Jesus is the proof that you've really been changed. Real human freedom is lived in human community under the power of self-restraint. It should be behind me on the board. Look at it. Real human freedom is lived in human community under the power of self-restraint. In other words... When God does something in your life, you don't exit the church, you attend church. When there's real freedom in your life, discipleship happens. I want you to notice what happens to this man. The man, what the man was begging for, he was, the demons was begging that Jesus would leave, and now the man is begging to go with Jesus. Before he was out of control, now the Bible says he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Before he was unclothed, and now he's clothed. Before he was out of his mind, and now he's in his mind. Before he had many demons, and now the scripture refers to him, quote, the man from whom the demons had gone. Before he was living in the tombs, but after Jesus rebuked the demons, Jesus told him to return to your house. You see... This is what discipleship is. Discipleship is this. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, being obedient to him, and going and telling the story. That's what discipleship is. This is what happened to the man. The Bible says in Luke chapter 8, verse 35, look at the scripture. Luke chapter 8, verse 35, after Jesus rebuked the demon out of the man, or the demons, the Bible says that when they came to Jesus, the city, the people of the city, they found the man whom the demons had gone. He was sitting at the feet of Jesus, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. In other words, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. 
After the demons left, this man was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And let me tell you something. If you really got a change in your life, if you really had a change in your life, your desire, your pursuit, your affirmation, your desire should be you want to be with Jesus and you want to be with Jesus' people. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He was obedient. And this is what's interesting to me. He begged Jesus. He said, Jesus, I want to go with you. Look at it. Luke chapter 8, verse number 38. Luke eight thirty-eight. Look at this scripture. Now, the man from whom the demons had departed begged that he might be with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away. Now look at verse 39. Return to your house. Tell what great things God has done. And he went his way, proclaimed throughout the whole city the great things that Jesus has done for him. This is a quote from one of my commentaries. I want you to listen to this quote, a a little paragraph. Notice that Jesus commands the man to go home. This is the last thing. It'll be on the screen behind me. Look at it. Notice that Jesus commands the man to go home and declare how much God has done for him. The man, however, testifies to what he knows how much Jesus has done for him. This is a great freedom and strength in witnessing to what we know instead of always pressing ourselves or others to say more than we can truly say. This man was commissioned to go tell his story. He didn't know all the Bible. He didn't know everything about Jesus. He was just commissioned by Jesus to go Tell your story. And that's discipleship, my friends. If you want to know how, what it means to follow Jesus, it's to sit at his feet. It's to be obedient to him. And it's go and tell your story. Becky, you can tell your story than I, better than I could tell your story. And I could tell my story better than you could tell my story. What would happen if each of us would so get on fire for Jesus that we would leave this building and go tell someone what God did for you. Every one of you have a story to tell. Every one of you have something to say. And if you start telling your story, you may not know all the scriptures. You may not even know how to dissect the scriptures, but you could got a story to tell. And if you go tell your story, it's amazing what God will do in your life. Amen. Can somebody say praise God? Did you enjoy the word today?